Thanks, Jerry. <clears throat> Good morning. Haven't met yet. My name's Chris. Hopefully, I get to meet you after the service. Uh, keep your don't worry so much about the Genesis passage, but particularly the Ecclesiastes passage and the Matthew passage that Jerry just read. Uh, if you just keep a finger in your Bibles at those points, that would be really helpful. Why don't I pray as we prepare to look at God's Word? Lord, thank you for your Word. May it live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, uh, every year on Boxing Day, my family would make a trip up the coast to a place called Hawk's Nest, which is a little beachside town in Port Stephens. Some people here seem to have heard of Hawk's Nest. And we'd stay there for two weeks every year. It was our annual family holiday, I'm sure, not dissimilar to ones that you guys take or once took or have just taken. And Hawk's Nest is your typical little coastal town. It's bustling in the holidays, but it's still small enough to feel like you know, you've gotten away and that you can, you can unwind. And there are beaches there and there are tennis courts and there's a golf course and we'd sit around and we'd play cards and watch the cricket on TV and play backyard cricket and we could go sailing. And my brothers and I, we enjoyed it immensely and so did my mum. But the person in our family who enjoyed it the most was my dad. I guess you could say Hawk's Nest was his happy place. And I think what my dad loved most about Hawk's Nest was that that was his time and place of rest. In fact, it was his only real time and place of rest. You see, my dad, he was a small business owner. He's a printer. And he more or less worked on his own. And so he only ever took those two weeks off a year. And maybe you have experience with small business ownership or people who are in that. And that's, that's not an uncommon story. See, he felt he couldn't afford to take more. And so he restricted himself to rest two weeks of the year, immediately after Christmas, at Hawk's Nest. And he would look forward all year to that holiday, to that rest. And he'd really enjoy it. But the remainder of the year, not so much. If there was a word that could describe my dad the other 50 weeks of the year, it would have to be burdened by work, mostly. And though my dad made lots of sacrifices for our family, that working burden, it seemed to make many other parts of life a burden for him as well. You know, housework and, and parenting, uh, even socialising. And apart from our time at Hawk's Nest, I struggled to remember growing up ever seeing my dad genuinely at rest. And I wonder if anything about my dad's experience resonates with you. Have I just described 2018 to you? Do you ever feel like life just consists in an abundance of work? And when someone mentions rest, it has this sort of far-off, you know, dreamlike quality, like some impossible luxury that the lucky few only ever really get to enjoy, say, for the odd long weekend or family vacation. As Elizabeth said, this is the last in our four-part summer renewal series, and we've looked at, at Bible reading and the place of that in our lives, prayer and some of the obstacles we face in doing that and self-examination, bringing our whole selves before God. And what we're thinking about today is work and rest, and in particular, how we're to understand the nature and work of work and rest from a biblical standpoint, and what that might look like to establish rhythms, godly rhythms of work and rest in our lives. And you know, doing that, 
doing that is not an is, is a not insignificant challenge in the world in which we live we we live in a society that has turned overwork and relentless busyness into a virtue the more busy you are the more important you are the more influential you are the more successful you are technology has made its way into virtually every facet of our daily lives including lengthening the workday and it seems that the routine modern answer to the age-old question so how have you been is busy but the fact is this is not a uniquely 21st century problem humans have always had a preoccupation with work at the expense of rest and I think that is because all humans possess the same impulse to strive. We're always striving for something, whether it's material gain, status, self-worth, better experiences, better relationships. Now, striving in itself is not a bad thing, but it does mean that we're always on some level at work. And that means we're always on some level burdened because working brings with it demands, it brings with it obligations it brings with it burdens expectations and this naturally it finds expressions in our formal work so the jobs that we do our vocations but it's not restricted to that and so yes we can point to the tyranny of modern life and say that increases it to the cost of living and property prices and the rise of take-home work culture and the intrusion of technology that that's what keeps us from rest that that's what really burdens our daily experience of life but i think i think it's deeper than that it's far more timeless and universal than that otherwise jesus would not have had to say 2000 years ago come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest weariness and burden are not simply symptoms of the pace of modern life they're symptoms of a universal human striving for more for more stuff more significance more acceptance more meaning some meaning any meaning and if weariness and burden are not simply symptoms of modern busyness then rest rest is not simply the absence of modern busyness it's not like if we do away with modern busyness and 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 weariness and burden suddenly we find ourselves at rest no no rest must be something different something bigger and when we turn to the bible we see that from its standpoint rest is something different rest is something bigger rest is part of the language that god uses to speak of who he is and how he works when god speaks of the plans he has for his people it's often expressed in terms of rest so when god finishes creating he rests and then he subsequently as heard in that reading he blesses the seventh day and by so doing he creates this 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 day called sabbath a day of rest to remember and enjoy god's blessing and when his people the israelites fail to trust his promise to give them a land of their own god declares that his judgment on them the consequences of that that lack of trust or that disobedience is that they will never enter my rest and when jesus speaks of the salvation he alone can secure what does he say he says i will give you rest so let me ask you what are you striving for 
like really striving for, ultimately striving for? What is your life's goal? Because again, while the human impulse to strive is not in itself a bad thing, if the answer to that question, what are you striving for? What is your life's goal? If the answer to that question is anything other than some version of enjoying a relationship with God, then I can tell you now, you will never truly rest. You will never truly rest. Not in the way that God, your creator, intends you to rest. Not in the way Jesus, your Lord and Savior, invites you to rest. And there are two reasons for that, that we see drawn out of the passages that we've had read for us. And so if you turn to Ecclesiastes, you'll see that the first reason why you'll never truly rest without, without God as the goal of your life is that striving, human striving, is ultimately futile. Striving is futile. Some years ago, I caught up for a post-work drink with a few other guys, three other guys, and the first part of the conversation was typically all about work. We'd all come from work, and so the questions were, how's work been for you? Are you still in the same role, etc., etc.? And when I reflected back on that conversation, I actually found it really demoralizing. Because each person, myself included, we weren't just saying, this is what I'm doing. We spent, to varying degrees, the whole time complaining about our work, whinging about it. Now, we were all Christian guys, and I don't think we were prone to grumbling by nature. I don't think we were. And each of us actually really quite liked the jobs that we did, and yet there we were, spending 45 minutes really doing nothing but complaining about our work. Why is it when we undertake work what we most commonly experience is the burden of work. Not the joy of work, not the satisfaction of work, but the burden of work. I mean, it's not like joy and satisfaction are foreign to work. I'm sure each of us here can attest to experiences of work that are satisfying and in which we find real enjoyment. And even more importantly, God made work to be enjoyable and satisfying. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're told of God himself working in the act of creation. And then he celebrates that work. He enjoys it. And he creates people, you and me, those made in his image, to work as well. So why is the burden experience so common? Well, that's because we no longer live in a Genesis 1 and 2 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world, in a post-sin world. And part of the curse of sin is that work has become burdensome. And this is a theme central to the Ecclesiastes passage that Jerry read. In Ecclesiastes 2, the teacher whose observations of the world make up the book, he expresses an especially pessimistic, burden-filled view of work and human striving. It's hard, it's ongoing, and its rewards are finite, they don't last. And some people think this is overly negative, I just think it's realistic. And as a worker himself, the teacher is plagued by the question of legacy and his inability to control the ultimate outcome of his work. You'll see in verse 18, he says there, I hated all my work that I laboured at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I laboured at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had laboured at under the sun. 
Does that sound anything like your experience of work? Maybe not right now, but at some point. And maybe you're not quite ready to give yourself over to despair, but I would be greatly surprised if you couldn't identify in some way with the teacher's sentiments regarding work. I mean, we, 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 we sense this. We experience this. Work endlessly repeats, yet accomplishments, they don't last. We choose to work and do and create. We decide we're going to do that and accomplish that. But at any given moment, we are subject to external circumstances that threaten to undermine those choices and threaten to undermine any sense of, of control that we think we might have over our work, any control we might have over our destiny. And the more we strive, the more rest becomes maddeningly elusive. The teacher, he says that, doesn't he, in verse 23? He says, even as he goes down to sleep, he doesn't rest. His body goes to bed, but his mind cannot lie down. But this is more than just a material problem, a problem of activity or inactivity, a problem of busy waking or sleeping. And the teacher, he starts to, he starts to hint at this and underlies what he's saying. See, the striving of our world, it manifests itself in busyness and work, but it also manifests itself in a, in a pervasive, universal, spiritual restlessness. It means that we as humans, our default is to approach God himself the same way that we approach all our other work, all our other striving. Is that not the very definition of human religion? Striving to get to God? To work hard enough but never knowing if you're actually ever going to be good enough for God? Is that a thought that keeps you awake at night? And yet, yet there is an alternative way of being. The teacher himself hints at it in verses 24 to 26. But it is most profoundly expressed in Jesus' offer in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What is the, what is the alternative to the ultimate futility of human striving? It's Jesus himself. Jesus is the answer to our striving. Jesus' striving is the source of our resting. Jesus' striving is the source of our resting. What does that mean? Well, it might be helpful in thinking about this to return to my dad's restless working experience. But suppose we turn it around and think about what my dad's striving meant positively to me, my brothers, our family. Because of my dad's striving we could afford to live in our own house. Mum and dad owned their home. Because of my dad's striving, every year for two weeks, we could afford to go on holiday to Hawksby. And while we were never a wealthy family, I can say with all honesty that I never wanted for anything growing up. I had everything I needed, and I didn't have to work for any of it. I could just rest. Now, that is in direct contrast with the experience of my dad's dad, the only child of an alcoholic, abusive, shell-shocked World War I veteran. My pa had to scrap from a young age for every bit of daily bread he and his mother could get. And when, when in third form, year nine, he and, my, he and his mother finally fled in the middle of the night, my pa was forced to abandon a promising academic future at Sydney Boys High, a selective school. 
and to experience anything close to comfort, my pa entered the workforce and effectively fended for himself in the age of 15. There was no rest in his childhood experience. His childhood experience was characterized by profound restlessness. But there was in mine. Unlike my pa, I could just rest in the provision of my dad's work, in my dad's striving. And that difference, that is the difference between having to strive for spiritual rest yourself and resting in Jesus' striving. See, Jesus goes on in verse 29. He says, All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I'm sure as many of you know, a yoke is a piece of farming equipment used primarily with cattle, put across the shoulders to help them pull their loads, still used in some parts of the world today. But a yoke was associated with hard work and burden. In fact, the animals that would, would carry a yoke and, and pull these things were, were referred to as beasts of burden. So why would Jesus say to his listeners, take up my yoke? Sounds a bit negative. That's because his yoke is not like other yokes. What does he say? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can that be? Well, the yoke which Jesus speaks of here, the rest that he offers, has very little to do with waking and working and, and sleeping and relaxing. It's spiritual rest. See, Jesus is speaking primarily to Jewish people who have had great religious observance burdens placed upon them by their religious leaders and who therefore have found themselves laboring to be right with God, striving to be right with God. And Jesus is saying that it is only by taking his yoke upon themselves that they will at last experience true spiritual rest. Why? Because his is a yoke of work already done, of work already accomplished the work of living a perfectly righteous life that God approves of, he was doing that in that very moment. That was the life that Jesus lived. The work of paying for human sin, the work of overcoming death, he has achieved that on the cross and with his resurrection. Now in the narrative of Matthew, when Jesus utters these words, that event is still future. But that event is not future for us hearing that today, hearing these words today. We stand this side of Jesus striving on our behalf, all we have to do is come to him and receive it as the gift that it is. So let me ask you, have you done that? Have you come to Jesus to find rest for yourself? Or are you still striving to earn it for yourself? Now finding your rest in Jesus doesn't mean you'll automatically get your work-life balance back in order. We continue to live in a Genesis 3 world. Experiencing the rest Jesus offers doesn't mean you'll never feel tired or overworked or burdened again, but it does mean having a deep assurance that you are right with your Creator, God. There is a profound and restful peace that that reality brings with it. I can attest to it. And it means that we can view the things that we do, the work that threatens to dominate our lives, paid or otherwise, we can view that work in its proper light too. Because our hope doesn't end with what we do or don't achieve in this life. Our worth is not bound up by what we do or don't achieve in this world. 
Our joy is not determined by what we do or don't possess in this world. The work of Jesus on the cross releases us from our need to strive for these things. In him, all fears are stilled. All striving cease. So that's the, that's the alternative that Jesus offers. Doesn't that sound wonderful? The rest that he offers that we can't possibly achieve with our futile human striving. But what, what, does that, what does that mean for us then, in the here and now, in the day-to-day? Specifically, h- how might we, we take these truths to establish genuinely helpful rhythms of work and rest in our lives? In preparation for uh, this sermon and thinking about this topic, uh, there are a couple of books that I have found helpful that uh, Mike and Elizabeth gave me, uh, and I, I could not commend them to you more highly uh, one of them is called Crazy Busy by a guy called Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor from the United States. does a lot of writing and thinking about what it looks like to live as a Christian today. And another one, the one that Elizabeth gave me, is called The Art of Rest, Faith to Hit Pause in a World That Never Stops. I found these very helpful resources. And as we think about bringing these truths to bear in our lives, they're books that you might want to avail yourself of. Speak to Mike, speak to Elizabeth. They'd be happy to loan them to you. Or you could go to Kurong, and I'm sure they sell them there as well. But what about, what about our day-to-day lives? Well, bringing these truths to bear in our lives, bringing them together, I think there are, at least today, I'm going to reflect on four implications that flow from the truths that our striving is futile, but Jesus, his striving, is the source of our resting. The first one, and this is a bit of a kind of bigger scope thing, taking us back to Genesis, is that rest involves actual rest. That sounds so obvious, right? Rest involves actual rest. We are finite beings with a finite amount of energy. So that means don't skimp on having physical, mental, and emotional rest. Yes, there are seasons of life that are busier than others, but they're exceptions. As one of the writers I read this week says, they are are, are temporary interruptions into what should otherwise be an accepted pattern. You can't go hard all the time. You're not made that way. Neglecting physical, mental, and emotional rest, it's foolish. And it's to deny the way that God has made you. So, rest involves actual rest. And that may mean just sleeping. That may mean just sleeping. Secondly, rest involves, and I think this is a really significant thing flowing from, from what we've looked at, rest involves time with God. Rest involves time with God. You can take all the long weekends, like this one we're about to have, and all the lazy beachside holidays in the world. But if your rest never includes time with God, then that is not true rest, not from a biblical point of view, not from a Christian life point of view. In Genesis, the Sabbath that God ordains, it's tied to his creative activity. And in Deuteronomy, another book of the Old Testament, the Sabbath is also tied to God's work of salvation in bringing Israel up out of slavery in Egypt. And that is a salvation that points forward to Jesus who provides that salvation for all people. And while the the Sabbath as as a ritual day doesn't necessarily apply to us in the same way, now those are truths we would do well to bear in mind. We would do well to remember. And so gathering once a week, as we're doing right now, and rejoicing in God's creation and his work of salvation through Jesus Christ, 
That is part of pursuing rest. So come to church and keep coming to church, not because it's Sabbath and you're supposed to, but because it is the place where you can be spiritually refreshed by your fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, from God's word, in prayer, in song, in fellowship. The same goes for spending individual time with God in prayer and in his word. As I was talking about this topic this week with my wife Emily, she made the observation that the other three things that we've focused on in this summer renewal series, Bible reading, prayer, self-examinations, examination they're not only part of Christian rest, they can only ever be done if we rest. And so if you don't rest, you won't spend time with God in his word. You won't spend time in prayer and you won't spend time in self-examination. And if you don't do those things, well, then you're not truly resting. Rest involves time with God. Thirdly, rest involves being intentional. That kind of flows from that previous one. Rest involves being intentional. What I mean is, if we don't plan for rest, it won't really happen schedule-wise or content-wise. And we know this by experience, right? Proper sleep, quality time with family and friends, genuine routine-breaking experiences that refresh us, If rest is always a last-minute, ad-hoc experience, if we only ever rest when we run into that wall, when we absolutely need to, then we're never truly going to enjoy these blessings. And the same goes for Bible reading and prayer and self-examination. If we don't make a conscious effort to include them, then we're either not going to include them or they're just going to be the most meaningless afterthought. Rest involves being intentional doesn't mean you can't take spontaneous rest by all means there's a place for that too but rest does involve being intentional and finally rest expresses reliance on god it expresses reliance on god when we rest whether it's physically mentally and emotionally or taking time out to read the bible and pray or read a book about god we're saying in effect you've got this god it is a tangible expression of our commitment not to feel the need to do everything ourselves, not to strive, but to trust that the God who spoke creation into being and who has worked so powerfully and personally and sacrificially to make you right with him, that he is capable and good and loving enough to supply all your needs, big and small. So, actually rest. Spend time with God. Be intentional about it. And express your reliance in the rest that you take. So let's not, let's not strive needlessly. And don't despair in your striving. The one who made you and who knows you and who loves you, he has done all the work for you. Rejoice in that. Rest in that. Now and into eternity. Why don't we pray? Our gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and for health and for safety and for power to work and for leisure to rest. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection and for the gift of your Spirit and the hope of sharing one day in your glory, in that final rest. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.